Well, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I am Mike Agliolaro. This is not This Is Sports. Oh, we're going to do a little random thoughts segment as we've done before here. I'm joined by Cousin David Agliolaro. Cousin David, how you doing? Doing pretty good. I'm just happy it's happy it's the end of the week. Yeah, for people who don't work weekends, yeah, I'm sure that's a good thing. I get to work tomorrow, so that's going to suck. But I'm glad you're doing good. Uh, and we're coming together here. We do we do these every once in a while, uh, the random thoughts. So we're just going to do a lot of things that we don't normally cover on the big show on Tuesdays with Dave and Eric. We'll talk some baseball. We got some football going on here. Uh, I, do, you, do you watch college basketball, Cousin David? Uh, not really. I, I mm. used to watch, I used to watch the tournament years ago, like in like my early twenties, but kind of, kind of fell out of favor. Yeah. I mean, I've been following the tournament this year a little bit because, uh, my brother Chris had me fill out a bracket and I filled out one that, uh, that Eric, uh, put together, uh, for sports zone and, uh, my brackets already busted because, uh, two of two of the picks that I had for the final four, they're already out. I picked Ohio oh, wow. State. Yeah, I picked Ohio State. They lost to Oral Roberts, and I picked Tennessee. They lost to whoever the 12 seed was. I can't remember. But, uh, yeah, that this is why I don't normally do brackets, because I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Uh, but, anyway, so we'll talk, we'll talk about all this stuff here. Um, we'll start off with the Mets. It's been a while since we've really talked about the Mets here. And, you know, Eric said on the show, Everything's been pretty good this offseason. There aren't any major injuries. And then I said, well, wait a minute. We don't know what's going on with Carlos Carrasco. So Carlos Carrasco had a bullpen session on Wednesday. He was supposed to throw 20 pitches. He'd have been shut down for about a week and a half with, like, elbow soreness. And I guess he got the vaccine. So he was feeling a little soreness, a little out of it from that. Apparently, the bullpen session went well, but he was doing some sort of workouts tore his goddamn hamstring and now he's going to be out for six to eight weeks because you know it's the it's the Mets so we can't, the Mets. Go, yeah, we can't go <laughs> one goddamn spring training without something happening Carrasco was supposed to be number two number three starter however you view Marcus Stroman they would have been the number two and number three starters um we had signed Taiwan Walker earlier in the uh, a few weeks ago, and I was very happy that we signed Taiwan Walker. As you know, I have advocated for Taiwan Walker in the past here, and this just further shows why adding him was a good move. Because you know, obviously, this is going to hurt the depth for the Mets because we're still waiting for Noah Syndergaard to come back. He's supposed to be out there, say in June. If I had to guess, he's not going to come back till July or August because I just want to play on the safe side there. Obviously, DeGrom's the number one. You have Stroman, you have Walker. David Peterson was the guy, in my opinion, who had the inside track on that number five starter spot. I will say the one thing the Mets have done, at least on paper, better than they had done in past years, is they recognized they did not have a lot of guys in AAA who were really ready to be thrust into a major league role if that opportunity presented itself. I think we lost your mic. No, I think the Mets, you know, just just to sort of keep it going here until Mike 
comes back. But um, back end starter for the Padres for a couple years now. So we have him. They get traded. We lost you for a little bit, Mike. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, Where did you lose me on? Uh, You were out for like maybe 10 seconds. Okay. Um, So we had acquired Lucchesi. Uh, I was fine with that. Like I said, serviceable back end started for the Padres for a couple years there. We acquired Jordan Yamamoto, relatively inexperienced reliever. I think he's only been up for two seasons. Pitched decently in 2019. Got completely exploded upon last year in only 11 innings worth of work. They have Jared Eikhoff. They brought in Mike Montgomery on a... um, one of those minor league deals, um, uh, non-roster invitee to spring training. And I, I've been a fan of Montgomery since he was a prospect. He's never lived up to his billing, really, as a, a top prospect back when he was in the Kansas City Royals organization. He's bounced around uh, from uh, for a couple teams there. His big claim to fame is he's the guy who pitched the last out in the World Series that the Cubs won in 2016 and i i am still kind of high on him i personally feel he's better served as a reliever than a starter but apparently they're stretching him out a little bit uh in in the hopes of having him as a swing man which is something you don't really hear a lot in baseball bullpens nowadays i mean you look at any time the mets uh had a really good team whether it was the year 2000 or the year 20 uh 2006 20, in the year 2000, we had Pat Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes' father, as our swing man. And he was very good, actually, in 2000. And in 2006, he had Darren Oliver as the swing man. And he actually wound up making a couple starts in the playoffs that season. So I think the swing man role is, is a role that you don't really see too much nowadays. But the idea of having a guy in your bullpen who can go three or four innings out of the bullpen if the starter gets shelled or something or gets hurt or something like that. I think it's a good thing to have that. So the idea that they're doing that with Montgomery, I'm fine with that. I do think the Mets are better suited to handle this type of thing now than they would have been over the last couple years because regardless how you feel about David Peterson or Joey Lucchesi or Jordan Yamamoto, David, I think we can both agree, they're not Corey Oswald or Chris Flexen. So just off of that, I think the Mets are in better shape for that type of thing. What do you think? I think they're in okay shape. The, the only issue, you know, I see, and I was reading on ESPN, and, you know, there was this one article on there. They, they actually made a very good point. You know, let's just hope that this isn't the trend, um, especially as basically the season starts. We're actually going from a 60-game season to almost a full-game season. So, you know, no, it is a full season. It is 162 games. Yeah. So, so what is exactly that going to look like? You know, can pitchers get stretched out? And I never really thought about that. What's exactly going to happen? Pitchers haven't pitched that much last season. They're going to go back to pitching pretty much a full season. How is this actually going to work? And is the Carrasco wasn't hurt, obviously, pitching, but, you know, because he was running, but. I don't know what's going to happen. Are teams like pretty much like the Mets going to get hurt? Are teams like actually the Yankees going to get hurt? I don't know. Um, I think basically the team that looks at in terms of getting as many pitchers as 
possible may actually go ahead. And all I could say for actually the Mets is uh, when with Carrasco going down, it's almost like you wish you kind of wish you signed Trevor Bauer now. See, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that one. I'd say more Jake Odorizzi than Trevor Bauer. The dude didn't want to come here. We offered him more money than the Dodgers did, and he just didn't want to come here. Uh, I, I still think there's a better case to be made that they should have signed George Springer than Trevor Bauer. You know my feelings on that. Jake Odorizzi, I believe, and I could be wrong about this, I feel like Odorizzi ended up on the Brewers, but I'm not 100% on that one. Uh, I think he signed a deal actually pretty similar to the one that Taiwan Walker signed. I think there was slightly more guaranteed money in Odorizzi's by like $3 million or something like that than the one that Walker signed. So, yeah, I mean, there would have been a better case to be made, but, you know, no team goes into a season with six guys who would be starters on most teams. You know what I mean? Like, not even the Yankees do that. You know, you have your five guys that you want to see take charge and be that, and then you have a couple other guys who are capable but, I mean, I don't even really know the right way to phrase this. You know what I mean? I mean, the idea, because David Peterson is the guy the Mets went into this spring training thinking was going to be their fifth starter. So if you signed a guy like a Bauer or an Odorizzi on top of Taiwan Walker, when you have DeGrom, Carrasco, and Stroman, then you're pushing Peterson out of the rotation already. And, like, I'm sure the idea is that he's he would be pushed out of the rotation if you have a totally healthy rotation and Syndergaard comes back in, over the summer. But, you know, you're not going to go into a season with six guys who all should be on major league staffs. You know what I mean? I understand what you're saying, but maybe this is the year to actually think about maybe having a six-man staff, especially since coming off the COVID year. A lot of pitchers, you don't really know how they're going to react. Uh, you know, throwing six, 60, 70 innings last year and now going up basically to like the normal 200. Maybe well, going I mean, six or seven. Yeah, go ahead. Well, all I was going to say, and I'm sorry to cut you off there. Yeah. I, I mean, your theory is definitely sound. I mean, I've definitely heard it um, bantied about a little bit recently, the idea that you don't know what this season is going to bring from an injury standpoint. <sighs> I don't listen as a Met fan. You're supposed to be cautious off of injuries anyway, because the injuries come with the Mets, whether it's a regular season or not, because like you guys, the Yankees have only recently experienced the influx of injuries over the last two or three years. We've been dealing with this shit for almost a decade now, like over a decade now. The idea that everybody gets hurt over these little freak things. And, you know, you got you to you gotta hangnail or something so you're out for three months where you thought right. it was only a week or something. So, I mean, that idea is always prevalent. I, I don't really know how much that is going to come to effect. Like, I definitely get the logic behind it. Um, for whatever reason, I feel like, most baseball teams have been reluctant to commit to a six-man rotation. I, I mean, you look at history, you've never really seen a six-man rotation over the course of the season, but I feel like every time most teams are asked whether or not they want to go to the six-man rotation, it's like they're always fighting against that. And I get the idea yeah. that maybe this is the year to do it, 
But I think when you have all these starting pitchers who are trained to pitch on four days rest, I think that's where part of the reluctance comes and because it's a mindset thing. And I know there are certain pitchers who can't pitch with extra rest. Like, And I know it's more than just him, but the one that I'm thinking of is Matt Harvey back in the day before he bottomed out. You know, the statistics were there. When he pitched on four days rest, he was fine. If you gave him more days rest, he wasn't as good as if he was on normal rest. So I, I feel like that's where part of the reluctance comes in. I definitely get the idea of it. I feel like that's one of those things. We're not really going to see the effects of that until we actually get into the season. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I actually completely agree. I actually think the Mets should actually be fine. You probably would rather, if anybody's going to get hurt, you would rather them get hurt at base at the start of the season and yeah. uh, come back strong. I mean, you know, the fifth, the you know, everyone's just going to go next next man up anyway. Um, sure. And plus, also, the fifth starter doesn't pitch, what, to like the third week of the season. So it's like, you know. Well, I'm going to be, I'm going to, I'm, I'm yeah. sorry to cut you off. I'm yeah. going to be honest. I haven't. I know that's the way it normally goes. I haven't looked at the way the schedule plays out in terms of days off, so I don't know if that's going to be true this year. I feel okay. like that's not going. To, I feel like that's not going to be true this year. I mean, but even if, even if you look at it this way, you lose Carrasco for the first month. Let's say, I think if Seth Lugo comes back and 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 pitches out of the back end of that bullpen, if he could come back in the bullpen. You probably want you you probably want that area fortified for the first couple of weeks, and once Carrasco comes back, maybe in six weeks, the Mets should actually be fine. I mean, look if basically the Mets can't if they can't um, figure out how to play well with with a number two or number three pitcher going down for six weeks then they they then they really don't deserve to get into playoffs anyway so i don't see i don't see this being a, a very big deal now if david now if carrasco went down during actually the all-star break then i would say that would be an issue well i mean that's definitely a fair point there what i heard in terms of a timetable is six to eight weeks for Carrasco at the very least. And hamstring injuries are tricky anyway. And they say it's a tear. It's not a strain or anything. It's a tear. So that's yeah, not something right. you really, yeah, that's not something you really want to rush back. I heard Memorial Day at the most, uh, uh, and to me, it's an, I, every time you're putting a timeline on a Met player coming back from an injury, I feel like it's an optimistic timeline because it's the Mets. You always have to give them at least a two to three week curve anyway. So there's that. We don't really know what's going on with Lugo. I believe he had bone spurs removed from his elbow uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, they were expecting him to miss the, at least the first couple weeks of this season, I think. First couple I don't know. Weeks, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, <coughs> excuse me. I'm not horrified by the idea of starting the season off with Peterson because I like what Peterson showed last year. I, I really think. He, I think he's going to be better than a Jordan Montgomery, who's, you know, he's your back-end starting pitcher. I think right. he, he has the potential to be better than that, and he's a lefty, so I like the idea of starting the season out with him in the rotation. 
and whether it's Lucchesi, who I'm sorry, when they acquired Lucchesi, I feel like the idea was he was going to be the fifth starting pitcher. I feel like the idea was they didn't know if they were going to be able to have anybody else sign with them. So he was their insurance policy for the fifth starting pitcher. And if he's your fifth starting pitcher, I'm not horrified by that because he, you know, he hasn't been great in the past, but he's pitched decently. And now you throw this Yamamoto guy in there, and I know you can only gleam so much from uh, spring training, but apparently he's impressed people, and people feel like with him, he's got all these pitches he could throw, but I feel like people feel like he tried to do too much in terms of having a variety of pitches, and they're trying to streamline him a little bit and getting only two or three pitches down perfectly. And if that's what it takes for him to become a decent starting pitcher, I'm not horrified by him either. If you're getting to the point where you need a guy like Jared Eikhoff in there, who we've seen before, he's not great. I feel like that's when you get into desperation mode if you're starting him. But I like the idea of two of those three being your back-end starters, and then you stretch out a guy like Montgomery, who I, to me he has potential. And if he's your swing man, and if you 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 bring him in the bullpen as kind of your insurance policy, right. I think it's a decent idea. Now I'm not going to use the words the Mets are fine, because for me saying that that's that, that's dangerous territory right there. Um, I could say it. Yeah, you could say it. That's fine. <laughs> he, that in and of itself is fine. I'm not going to say the Mets are fine. Mets are you know teetering on disaster until we see otherwise. In my mind, so there's that, and the bullpen itself. I mean. You look at the bullpen, it's a 26-man roster now. It's not a 25-man roster. So there's going to be, realistically, there'll be 13 pitchers. You'll have an eight-man bullpen, and you'll still have five position players on the bench there. But you look at what the Mets are bringing this year, and it's like, it's still Edwin Diaz. It's still Jairus Familia. It's still Dalen Patances, who I know you love him and everything. We have not seen... Uh, the the true Dalen Patances as he was with the Yankees in about two years now. So we have that. And it's still fucking Miguel Castro, who, I, you know, I remember saying on the show when I got him, you know, you give up a top 10 prospect for this guy who's got a career 4.5 ERA out of the bullpen. That's not encouraging to me that that's half your bullpen right there. And I know right. we signed Trevor Bay, uh, Trevor May and everything, and we have some non-roster invitees who have been pretty good. The, the guy Hildenberger, the guy Sam McWilliams, uh, Tommy Hunter was brought in on a um, on non-roster invitee contract. Aaron Loop was signed to be the lefty out of the bullpen because, you know, apparently he was a better option than Justin Wilson, who signed with you guys. All Justin Wilson had been was only one of the two most solid relievers the Mets had the last two years. So, of course, you're not going to sign him. Uh, so, that, that the bullpen's going to be a constant source of aggravation until we see otherwise there. And the lineup itself, you know, we didn't sign George Springer. So, we don't really know what's going on with center field. We still have Nemo. You still have Dom Smith in left field. You still have J.D. Davis at third base. Lindor. They opened up contract negotiations with Lindor. You know he wants a $300 million contract. So, of course, what's your first offer? Under, under $300 million. Yeah, that's a good idea. I, I know the way negotiations work and everything, and you always start low and then go high. 
But you know the guy wants a $300 million contract. What are you fucking around for? You just traded away. That's, Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. No, no. I, I think, I, no, I mean, that, that that's really going to be the test. And I, mm. and I don't mean to cut you off. If, if, mm. if you're going to give up draft capital and you're going to give up young players to bring in this guy who's going to play for you for a decade, because that's obviously the, the plan. Yeah. Um, you you got to now open up the checkbook. You didn't sign Trevor Bauer. You have that money freed up. Um, Robinson Cano's money is off basically the books. There's just, no excuse. just for this season, though. Just no for excuse. this season, though. And right, but 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 it's it's still it's still a hole. It's still it's still a budget hole that you can fill. So yeah. you yeah. know, Mister Nineteen Million Dollars. I believe uh, it's really only sixteen billion. I believe it's only sixteen billion. Well, I, 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 I'm, you know, I'm actually <laughs> maybe it's fourteen after, billion. Well, I'm guessing maybe know. after GameStop, he probably lost a, a couple billion. But, but oh, supposedly I mean, he gained it all back. <laughs> supposedly he gained it all back. The way they so, tanked the GameStop stock after everything went down, you know, he made his money back. He probably did. He probably did. But, but yeah. anyway, it's time to open up the checkbook. You got to get that squared away because the more that starts to harp because you know Lindor and you know how basically agents are and Lindor has a history of not negotiating a contract as soon as the season starts if well they it's don't, not it's it's, get, it's to clarify yeah. cousin David it's it's sure. not that he has a, con, a history of that because this is his first contract but he's already come out and said I'm he not negotiating. That, right. He said it during he said it during the press conference this week I'm not negotiating during the season which so I feel like, like yeah, it's fine smart it, to do. Yeah, which is smart to do. I mean, who knows? Who knows whether you know players like to say, "Oh, well, I don't want my agent to negotiate because then I get da da da." That's classic. That's a classic tactic. Whether you yeah. want to say that or, or or not, but the Mets, you gotta open. You gotta open up the checkbook. You gotta get that squared away. And look, it's gonna take one or two years to clean up the filth that you know the this last regime made and it's not yeah. going to be perfect but you know i still think i still think long term the mets have a good path they have a good plan and i actually think they're going to surprise a lot of people whether it's in the division or whether it's in the league um you almost wish that baseball kind of went to a universal DH, no, you absolutely, really you absolutely you would, wish that they went to a universal DH. You absolutely would, wish that. Yes, it, it would greatly help the Mets right now because instead of instead of having five guys on face of the bench, you could maybe free up, you know, and put Dom Smith as face of the DH, or you yeah. could, or you could put somebody else as the DH and switch them, or and you you actually could have more people. And actually, the bullpen because you don't have to play that Nash that National League ball. Now, look, I'm not against the National League ball. The '96 Yankees won that championship because Joe Torre treated them as a National League team. But I think we're getting to the root, and we're getting a little off topic. I'm sorry, but yeah, um, it sh- both leagues should have the same rules. We're just we're just getting to the point where it's just it's just becoming un manageable to sort of deal with teams teams have to gms have to build teams 
And yeah. if basically the teams aren't getting played by the same rules, it just becomes very, very difficult. And I don't understand why the union and look, you know me, I'm very pro union. I think the baseball union, it's, I think it's good when it's strong. I don't understand why they're, why they're not advocating to have 32 more guys um, have jobs. It just doesn't make sense. 16 guys. Sorry. Well, here's the deal with that. Um, so here's the deal with that. The union is advocating for it. The problem is that the owners were kind of using it as a negotiating tactic to get what they wanted out of, you know, I mean, not the collective bargaining agreement because that's coming up at the end of the year, but out of the negotiations, like they basically used it because um, they wanted to pass certain rules that they wanted to pass and they wanted the season to be delayed by a month because they wanted to increase the odds that they'd get fans in the stands. And they use that as a negotiating tactic. The union uh, wants it. Okay. The union wants it. No, for the reason that you outlined, you know, you're creating it's not 30. It's not 32 more jobs because you got to remember, 16. you're only creating yeah, those yeah. jobs in the national right. league. Yeah. So 16. So they absolutely want that. It's the, it's the uh, owners who kind of made it a negotiating tactic, which we talked about this on the show with Eric. I, I was not in favor of that because, like you said, yes, it would absolutely benefit the Mets. And I feel like if there was a DH, then maybe they do wind up upping the offer to George Springer. Like I said, as far as Springer, I get why you didn't up the offer on a 31-year-old who you got to sign to a six-year-old, six-year uh, deal who may need to switch off of the position that you're signing him to play in two or three years. I get why you didn't want to do that. But if you have the designated hitter, and Dom Smith would be your first baseman and Pete Alonso would be the DH, DH if there right, was a DH. Right. That would absolutely right. happen. But if you don't have that, I get that the idea that, all right, he's just going to move to a corner outfield position. We don't necessarily need another corner outfield. If we have our choice of corner outfielders, we'd probably want to keep Conforto, our guy, which I'm fine with even though he has to display that he can be a star over the course of a 162-game season which he's never done in his career. That's a problem. That's a problem. Yeah. And he's also represented by Scott Boris. So there's that. To go back to the original point here, though, Lindor. That's problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's always another problem. But, um, no, to go back to the original uh, crux of the issue with Lindor, it's not that the Mets gave up a lot to get him because you look at what they gave up. Rosario... Rosario is what he is. He was never going to be anything better than what he was. I was fine with him going. Jimenez is a guy who's got a lot of talent. He showed you what you can do, what he could do. The scouts had always said they never saw him as a long-term starting pitcher, but I heard scouts say that he's the type of player that winning teams have. That utility, super Swiss army knife type guy who can be a starter for like four or five days a week and, you know, maybe he's better to be off the bench, but he's never going to hurt you. He's going to be that type of guy. He's the one I'm worried comes back to bite him. And then you give up two guys who are 19 years old, who were Brody Van Wagen and draft picks. We have no idea what they're going to be. So in the long term, they didn't give up that much. But the problem is you tethered your entire offseason to the idea that we're bringing in a superstar caliber player. You didn't right. bring in Bauer. You didn't bring in Springer. You didn't bring in Real Muto. You didn't even bring in LeMahieu, which is fine and everything because you filled some holes that you had this offseason. It wasn't a terrible offseason 
but you tethered it all to the idea that you're bringing in a superstar caliber player. If you don't sign him before the season and then you lose him after the season, that's a Wilpon move. I'm sorry, that's a Wilpon move. And you're trying to get that taste out of the mouth of every Met fan. Now, well, as we've Jose learned, Reyes part two. Well, it's Jose Reyes part two, right? In a way, in a way, I can see that comparison. I can see that. Um, it's not entirely the same thing. I mean, obviously, it's not entirely the same thing because Jose Reyes was homegrown, and by the time he left in 2011, you had kind of resigned yourself to the idea maybe he's not worth much, what you're giving him there. So I get that. Um, but I, I get the idea that, all right, he's a superstar caliber player who you're letting go. Reyes was also about three or four years older than um, Lindor, and he had a more checkered injury history than Lindor did. So these are more points to why you need to sign Lindor because he doesn't have the red flags that Reyes had, um, just to throw that out there. But um, the idea that you know he wants a $300 million contract and you start in low, uh, there are more arguments for why maybe Sandy Aldis is not the right person to lead this team long term than we have ever seen before. And for the record, I, I don't necessarily hate the fact that he didn't break the bank on any of these guys. But the idea that you heard at one point, Cohen wanted Springer. He wanted Bauer. Didn't want to break the bank with Springer. All right, fine. I get that. I, I don't necessarily agree with it, but I get it in the long term. But you're going to break the bank for Bauer on the three-year deal. I mean, you realize the Mets threw $700 million on the table in terms of negotiations with free agents, and they got nobody to take them. Yeah, I mean, again... But, yeah, but with Bauer, you know, it, it wasn't a smart deal. I mean, because because the, the, the deal that he signed with actually the Dodgers when it was front-loaded, the, yeah. Mets prob- the Mets probably could have front-loaded the deal. Because it's well, again, it's pro- it, it's probably better to take on the money this year, and then look in two years he well he just leaves. to just to the clarify here, advantage of that. the first year of the Mets offer was the same offer as the Dodgers' first year, so they what did the do that. Year? The second year the second was year? not second year and the third year were a little more balanced. There was more overall money in the Mets deal by about ten million dollars, I believe, but. The Dodgers made it. The Dodgers made it. So it was like forty-five million the first year, forty million the second year, and then like twenty million the third year. And obviously, there's opt-out clauses in every one of these. The Mets did the same thing with the opt-out clauses, but I believe they made it like I, they made it a little more even for the second and third year, yeah. which was like thirty million yeah, each but, year. Yeah, but Mike, you're actually proving my. It's not that you're proving my points. The the Mets would have benefited. By giving him a deal that actually the Dodgers gave him by front by front loading the deal because you don't have Robinson Cano's contract on for this year. So, Which, but again, what I'm saying is they him. gave they gave him the same amount in the first year that the Dodgers did. If your point is that they should have made it 50 million instead of 45 yes. million, no, uh, I, I don't think. I, 40, no, no, I, I no. They gave him. They were offering him forty-five million, which is what the Dodgers' offer was. I believe it was forty-five million in that first year, and then right. forty year in the second year. The Mets went to forty-five million in that first year. They just evened off the second and the third year. Bauer just why? wants to be why? able. 
I mean, I, I, I don't have an answer for you on that. But yeah. first of all, there's two things. Bauer wanted to play in Los Angeles. He wanted to stay right. in California, which is fine. And number two, long term, I don't hate the fact that Bauer's not a Met. I think we dodged a bullet there, if I'm being honest. So overall, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world that he didn't take that contract. I don't. I hate the way that the whole situation unfolded with him inadvertently trolling, if you believe his side of the story, inadvertently trolling all the Met fans on Twitter with everything he did with his fucking website and everything. But I don't hate the fact that he's not a Dodger. So honestly, this whole thing we're talking about with front-loading the contract, if you would have done that with Springer, and made his first couple of years worth a lot more than the last couple of years. I that's what you should have done. Right. That's the guy you should have gone after. But well, I, and, I just uh, I, I final I just final thoughts on this, and then I want to. Yeah, no, 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 no. You say what's your final thoughts on this? I, I was just saying it's two different issues. Do I agree with you that they dodged the bullet? Yes. I was just I, the reason I commented on it was because obviously by their offer. They were very intrigued to bring him in. So they thought they had a deal done with him the day before. They thought they had a deal done. But yeah. my point was is that by giving him a Dodger-like contract, instead of leveling it over three years, it the way the way uh, Cohen has owned this team, he hasn't put a dime in yet. Well, he's put a little bit of money in, but it it probably would have benefited the Mets to front to front load that first year even more. That's all my point is. And yeah. they and and they actually could have got him. I actually know that Bauer wouldn't have stayed with the Mets for more than two, two or three years, but at least you get him for this first year. And then look, the first year, you never know. Yeah, I mean, listen, I you your usage of the phrase Dodger-like contract, I, I feel like that's I feel like they did offer him a Dodger-like contract. If you're saying that simply because the Mets didn't do what they did on the second and third year, all right, fine. We're talking about semantics here. Well, the second year, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm fine with them not throwing $50 million at him for a year, though. I'm fine with that, though. But to keep going here, I mean, you didn't get Springer. You didn't get Bauer. The one thing I am happy that the Mets did, and we kind of talked about this with the starting pitching, the idea that you're bringing in major league guys – to be your bench depth and to be your triple a depth. The fact that you go out, you don't get Jackie Bradley jr, which I'm fine with because the contract that he signed, I'm fine with them. The fact that the Mets did not give him that you're bringing guys like Alberto, Albert, uh, excuse me, Albert Almora jr. From the Cubs, who's not a great bat, but he's a proven defensive center fielder bringing Keith Pilar, who's a gold glove winning center fielder again not a great bat but a good defensive player you bring in jonathan villar who's a guy who's been a starter for teams like the marlins and the orioles and the brewers in the past a guy who has a 60 base stolen base season on his record and he's your fifth outfielder basically i like the fact that this is what they're doing with the guys they're bringing in, they have Malik Smith, who was brought in uh non-roster invitee. Maybe he starts the year off center field. Speedster, again, not much of a bad. But I like the fact that you have these guys as your defensive replacements, especially Almora and, and uh, Pilar, because I feel like they're both going to make the roster. And the idea that, all right, 
You have to start Dom Smith in left field and Brandon Nemo at center field. You know your defense is going to be hurt. So your first guys off the bench are the guys who have the gloves. Yes, they don't have the bats. Smith and Nemo, supposedly, and more Smith than Nemo, they're the guys who have the bats and no glove. So that's what you're balancing them out with the bench. I like that. It makes sense. It's good. It's perfect. Is it going to work for a full season? Who the fuck knows? I have no goddamn idea. I'm already hearing that J.D. Davis, everybody talks up Luis Guillerme. And, you know, the latest thing he did in spring training, because he's a spring training savant. Uh, a few years ago, he caught the bat with his bare hand. This week, he had a 22-pitch at bat, uh, which is apparently the longest at bat in Major League Baseball history. And he worked out a walk on it, which is fine. I've always thought of Guillermo as a guy with all glove, no bat. Now, he had a decent season with, his, with the stick last year. I don't know if that's going to translate over 162-game season. You're already hearing there's a possibility that he'll platoon with J.D. Davis. And if J.D. Davis doesn't get going the way he should, that'll be your replacement at third base. So I think if there's one battle to watch in the season, that's the one to watch. I, I don't know how the hell that's going to work out. I like J.D. Davis. He did fine defensively at third base last season. That's why they kept him there. When they put him in the outfield, they, the statistics were he was better at third base than the outfield. So I'm fine with him at third base. And his 2019 season, I feel, showed the potential that that guy has with a bat. And that's what he I'm hoping with. Yeah, in a very yeah. good year in 2019. I'm hoping that that wasn't just an aberration. Because I feel like, uh, stick-wise, he's got more potential at the plate than Guillaume uh, does. So I'm hoping that works out there. And I'm hoping James McCann doesn't fuck up at catcher. Because, you know, I'm fine with the fact that we signed him for $10 million a year over Real Muto. But, you know, you always, you always get worried with the guy who's the, who's the second best player at the position, who you look at as the cheaper alternative, you still give him a relatively $10 million a year. That's a pretty big contract for a guy who was almost out of baseball two years ago uh, and only recently started catching on with the White Sox. And even then, he wasn't a full-time catcher with the White Sox. So you always get a little worried by that one. But the idea that they brought him in, they brought Caleb Joseph in as another uh, non-roster invitee who had been with the Orioles recently. Again, not a great bat, but, you know, major league guys, you don't have to rely on Tomas Nito. So that's, and apparently they're also thinking about bringing in Tyler Flowers, which, okay, fine. He's about five years past his relevancy point. But the fact that you're going with proven major league guys, I feel like this is an improvement over past years. You know what I mean? No, and I agree. And, and, and I think that goes, and, and this is obviously the plus side to having a real GM as like your team owner, uh, mm. as, as as basically your GM, rather than, you know, Sandy Olson, you could complain everything, what he's done. Has he had a good off season? Uh, probably not. Maybe, maybe. What would you, what would you give him? If it, you had to put a letter grade on him, what type of off season? Like leave, leave the bullshit aside just from would, a player acquisition standpoint. I would say baseball related and just mm -hmm. baseball related i would give him about a b yes non-baseball related i would give him probably a d <laughs> well let me transition that into something else and i apologize if i'm going to cut you off because i agree it's a b off season it's definitely b off season eric kind of said it at one point and i've heard this 
with all the drama that went on from the Jared Porter to the GameStop to the Mickey Calloway to the other guy that they fired. It's, it doesn't feel that much different than a Wilpon offseason. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to push back on that a little bit. I'm going to push back on that. Jared Porter was fired a month after he was hired. Now, yes, a similar thing happened last year with Carlos Beltran. But I think the plus side is that it was nipped in the butt almost eight hours after it had been released to the public what was going on. They acted quickly. That's different than a Wilpon move where you let the shit linger for a week or two, like what happened with the Beltran thing. The GameStop thing, listen, we still don't know whether or not Cohen was really involved in that shit or not. And I think the difference between this and something like a Bernie Madoff scandal is if it happens to the Wilpons, that's it. They're busted. They're bankrupt. Because it's Steve Cohen, you know, not only is he not running out of money, but he's probably making $3 billion back the next week. Just that's the track record right there. So you have that. The Callaway thing, uh, again, the dude had been fired a year and a half before this shit broke. So he already got his. And then the other guy who got fired, whose name escapes me right now, he got fired a month before the reason why got released. That would not have happened under a Wilpon-led regime. The fact that they did it quietly, almost in the, the thick of the night with nobody realizing what the fuck happened until a month later, uh, that's a good thing to make. But all that one exposed is that the idea that the Wilpon stink was going to come off the Mets in three months, unfortunately, that's just not going to happen. And it's going to take a lot longer to really get all the remnants and all the damage that the Wilpons did out of the Mets organization. It's going to take longer than three months. But I still say it's a different offseason than a Wilpon offseason. And ultimately, it was a decent offseason. Not a great one, but a decent one. What do you say? Right, right. But, but, and that's exactly my, my point. If you're looking at, if you're saying that this is a B offseason, when was the last time the Mets had a B offseason? That's a very good point. I agree with you. I, probably never. I mean, probably uh, maybe uh, 2006. Maybe and, 2006. And, 2006 and 2005, because 2005 yeah. was was when they brought in uh, Beltran and Martinez, and 06 was when they got Delgado, Laduca, and Xavier Nady. Maybe 2015 too, when when no, they actually went no. to the World Series. I mean, I mean, yeah, but that offseason, no, 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 I can't even put that in that conversation. All right, so so I mean, I guess. I guess if you had your first B off season in like a decade. Well, actually, actually it's a to correct good off season. Yeah. To correct myself and maybe prop you up a little bit here. Um, that off season after they went to the world series, they did resign you in a Cespedes. So I can give you that one. They, they did resign Cespedes. They did resign. And then they did. Yeah. Get, and they did get into the playoffs that year. Yeah, barely, barely. Well, I, I mean, I mean, look, I, I think, I think, look, if you had one B, one B letter grade after about a decade of D's and C and, and low and and low C's, that that B starts looking like an A. So you know, I, it's fair. Look, look, it, it's it's gonna take a couple of years. It's gonna take at least two years, and mm. you know. Sandy Alderson, who is an actual GM, he wasn't brought in to, to, to basically just be an agent and 
and to basically sign the one player the Mets wanted. He is an actual GM uh, because 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 now I think now I think all of us could agree why Brody was brought in. I mean that was really the reason, the only reason Brody was hired. I mean it definitely it definitely seems that way now. <laughs> yeah. So I'm so I mean look you know I, maybe Sandy Olison's I think I I personally think he's done after after this year. I think I kind. I kind of yeah, hope so. I think he's done. I, I think he's yeah. done. I think I think if anything, he had two years. But I think after the Jared Porter thing, I think he's going to quietly retire, and he could kind of save face and say, "Look, I came back a couple years ago when I was let go. I had cancer. It was health issues, but I was able to come back and I put this team back, you know, as one. Sure. And 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 then that'll be the end of it. And then." You know, the Mets will go and get another real GM, which I think is something that they should do. But, um, you know, I I could see. I mean, let me ask you a question. Can we sure. do? Uh, I know that me and Eric did wins for Mets and Yankees. Where do you see the Mets? Oh, going? I'm not. I'm not. I'm not doing wins for Mets. I'm You're not, not doing, doing wins for, for Mets. No, I'm not because my attitude with the Mets is the same that it's been for the last 15 years. This team can win anywhere from between 72 and 90 games. Like, honestly, that's how I feel. And, like, I, when I would say that on the air, Eric would always kind of shit on it and be like, wow, that's pretty broad. Yes, it is really broad. That's what the Mets can do. The Mets can, you look at the Mets roster, this team can win 90 games if everybody's healthy. But if everybody shits the bed or gets hurt or, you know, gets right. in a car accident or something like that, they're going to win 72 games. You look at the Mets track record, especially – in any year that wasn't 2006 and 2015, everything that can go wrong always winds up going wrong. It's different for the Yankees because, you know, you guys pull guys off the scrap heap and they turn into borderline all-stars, Mike Talkman and Gio Urshela. You guys well, sign Gio. hits 29 home runs. <laughs> yeah, or something like that. I mean, look at Gio Urshela, journeyman. Been on uh, the Marlins and the Orioles, and nobody thought anything about him. And now he's going to with the, the third season in a row. Third season in a row, he's your guaranteed starting third baseman. Do you ever think the Mets would do anything like that? Like, that's why every year I look at the depth moves the Mets make, and I have hope that maybe one off season we'll get one guy, one guy who can do what Urshela or Talkman did. For you guys, you know what I mean? It hasn't happened yet, but I'm still holding out hope there. So I, I no, I'm not I'm not putting a win total on the Mets for the Yankees. I mean, listen, your idea that they're gonna take a step back and lose the division this year, even though you didn't know who they were gonna lose the division to. I told you a week before you came on the show that if you were gonna say that, you needed to pick someone you thought was going to do it and you didn't do it and Eric pounced on you for it. It's just like, dude, I told you, you had to, you had to come on with someone. Yeah. yeah. I told you that. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen, there's a case that the blue Jays can win the division. There's a chance that the Rays can win the division. I, I have been a Giancarlo Stanton fan for about a decade now. So I personally think if he is healthy, that's your fire starter right there. The problem is he's never really been healthy. And yes, it's taken him an extended period of time to really get acclimated in New York. But you look at what he did in the postseason for you guys. And I feel like there's a chance he's turned a corner. 
I do. So the idea that the Yankees can't win 95 games and still take the division, I I don't know about that. Like you're coming in with a weaker bullpen than you've had in the last five years, but it's still a decent bullpen. And three of the guys you're going to count on in the rotation for, for solid portions of the year haven't pitched the better part of the last couple of seasons. But Corey Kluber, Jamison Tyone, and Luis Severino, when they're healthy, they're all number one, number two starting pitchers. So I I don't know. And depth-wise, I feel like you guys are in good position in that rotation because you still got Jordan Montgomery, not a front-line starter by any stretch, but a solid four or five starting pitcher. Um, uh, Domingo Herman coming back this year. Who the hell knows what you're going to get from him, but you know what you he's get from him. He's not going to last. He, I, listen, I don't, I don't think he's going to last either, but if he does, you look at what he did before the whole domestic violence thing. He's a good starting pitcher. Davy Cruz, I think that's, that's a future long-term starting pitcher for you guys. Clark like Schmidt, him, yeah. yeah, I think he's going to be pretty good. Clark Schmidt is a guy who, you know, the Yankees have really talked up. I don't know a lot about him myself, but it seems like he's got some good promise to him. So you have some solid depth pieces there. And the fact is, you guys have won 100 games. The le- um, Well, obviously not last year, but before that, you guys won 100 games in two consecutive seasons with your starting pitching consistently being an issue. So the idea that you guys can't do it again, I, I'm, I'm not going to believe the Yankees are falling off till it actually happens because the track record, yes, they haven't made a World Series since 2009. They've made the playoffs every year except one season this decade. It was 2016. And they followed it up with, as you have said, a 1995-1996-like season in 2017. Yeah. So I, I, I'm sorry. I learned in 1996 when I thought the Braves were going to be the beat the Yankees in the World Series, and when the Braves were up two to nothing, I would go back and forth with my principal at the time, and I screamed as I was getting on the bus when I was thirteen years old. Hey, Mister Xantis, Yankees are going down tonight, and then the Yankees ripped off four straight wins and won the World Series. My lesson there: I don't bet against the Yankees. I don't do it, so I'm not doing it. So you don't bet anyway. against the well. You don't what? bet against the Yankees. Maybe in like the nineties. These no, Yankees I don't. I don't bet against. I don't bet against the Yankees. Period. Because I'm sorry that was, that was traumatic. Having to see Charlie Hayes catch that final fucking pop up and see the Yankees celebrate. Oh, no, no, no. Wait, 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 wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> you weren't. Wait, wait. You weren't happy that actually the Yankees beat the Braves. The the the. First of all, it was a it was a bad situation one way or another. But in '96, remember the Mets were still a bad team and hadn't done anything. So the rivalry between the Braves and Mets hadn't really reached its fever pitch yet. Right? Remember 1996, the grand single year of 1999 with Robin Ventura hitting that grand slam. Yes, that, that. that was that was three years away at that point. So no, I hadn't gotten the hatred for the Braves yet. I, I and I actually I don't mean to correct. Sure, you, go, no, earlier, go ahead. Yeah. Earlier you said the 2000 team was great. 
I actually think that 99 team was better than actually the 2000 for the match. Uh, I can I can kind of go with you on that one because we had I, I, you had I still first base. Dude, I don't know if you're aware of this. I still wear the John Olerud jersey I bought in 1999, five months before he left in free agency. He he was a great player. And I love Olerud. And I actually think that 99 World Series, because we swept the Braves in 99. I was, I was very concerned about the Mets. The Mets had a much better team than the Braves. And I don't know how the Braves beat you guys that year. Uh, I mean, I'm not – listen – the Braves in 99 had four Hall of Famers on the team. So any yeah. argument you make that the Mets are a better team, you, you're facing a team that has four Hall of Famers. And, and you had to swept them. Yeah, I, that's fair and everything. <laughs> I, I get that. But I'm just saying, I, it's hard for me to make that case. We'll never know, though, because Kenny Rogers walked in the winning run in extra innings in game six and killed oh. the whole fucking thing. And I'll tell you this. I looked this up the other day. Okay, do you realize the Mets made three trades with the Oakland A's between 1999, I think it was 99, and the year 2000. And the Mets got back Billy Taylor, relief pitcher, Kenny Rogers, starting pitcher, Jorge Valandia, middle infielder. And do you know who the Mets gave up in two of those deals? Oh, Jason Isringhausen and Nelson Cruz. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, that happened. The Mets made Jason Isringhausen a closer in 1999. He got one save. And then a week later, we trade him away for Billy fucking Taylor. And Nelson Cruz, Nelson Cruz was in like single A, double A. You can't fault the Mets because there were many no, teams. Can't. The Mets, there were many teams who gave up on Nelson Cruz before he really established himself and had the career that we all know he has had. I think we lost Mike. I'll just say this, Mike. Kenny Rogers, in, in terms of uh, uh, never really treated both teams really well, the, the Yankees or actually the Mets. Take that one. So, um, yeah, Mike, you actually – cut out i was just saying i was just saying how the kenny rogers never really treated either new york team very well well i know tory got in uh, tory didn't like him i know tory no. didn't like him yeah and can you believe they, that that yeah this is how far we've come in 24 years kenny rogers was the yankees big free agent acquisition in 1996 before the six. 1996 yeah. i if i'm not mistaken it was something like four years 16 million dollars not yes. 60, 16. 16, one six. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. And then, but uh, and then and then not to cut you off. Go ahead. In, in 2006, Kenny Rogers was pitching for the Tigers and he and he was using something on his hand. Yeah. And he actually and he beat the Yankees in the playoffs. So I remember we, we like could never win whenever he was yeah. on the mound. Never. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. All right, let's move on, though. I I said we were going to bring up the Deshaun Watson stuff here. I mean, here's the thing. We talked about this earlier today. At first, you hear that three women have lawyered up and are charging him in a civil lawsuit for money 
on allegations that he was inappropriate with them while they were giving him a massage. And you hear this after he demanded a trade from the Houston Texans. The Texans don't want to trade him at all. He's threatened sitting out the season if he's not traded. And then you find out that the lawyer for these women used to be a neighbor and a friend of the Texans owner. And you all, oh yeah, no, uh, they said that on Boomer and Geo yesterday morning. And I looked it up. Uh, Apparently it wasn't as recent as they made it out to be, but it still happened. It still happened. So there's that. And you automatically think these charges are probably bullshit. This is probably a situation where maybe something happened, but the Texans were aware of something going on. They took care of it. While he was fine with them, but now that he wants out, they're doing this almost mafia style and being like, well, guess what? We're going to make things pretty. We're going to make some trouble for you if you don't just shut up and play ball. But today we now have, and I saw this before we went to air, we have almost 11 women claiming inappropriate relations by Mr. Deshaun Watson. Yeah, no, it's a look, look, I think we should preface this conversation. If obviously if any of these accusations are true, it's not it's it, it it's not a good look for Watson. Um, yeah. So so let's just let's just say that right off base of the bat. We don't know. And, and I also want to say I'm glad we live in a world where women are be- being believed a lot yeah. more now for allegations of inappropriate relations than they were 20 years ago. Cause both you and me saw the documentary on HBO Pharaoh versus Allen and yeah. Woody Allen raping uh, a seven year old girl. And the fact that she was never believed and her mother who was trying to defend her daughter was discredited the entire time. It's great that we don't live in a world where that shit is as prevalent as it used to be. It's great for that. Right. Right. But go ahead. So, so I mean, look, if, you know, hopefully, Basically, this this gets done. The investigation happens, and if obviously any of this is true, then Deshaun Watson is going to be in a, a shit a shitload of trouble. Yeah. Um, but I do agree with you. Um, I think it's a little it's it is a little strange, and I think it's very interesting that the way this situation has <clears throat> evolved, where you know they were kind of. He he did not want to play for them. He was going to get ready to sit out the season, and now with this happening, and if he, and you could correct me if I'm wrong because I'm not totally in on all of basically the NFL rules. If he gets put on the exempt list because of which which they kind of come out, yeah, they kind of yeah. come out and said they're not going to do that during the off season because the exempt list is more for during the season. So I don't if that's going to happen, it's not going to happen just yet. Right, but 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 let's say let's say when the season starts and he had no let's say this he doesn't get traded, um, or you you, you actually could look at this two ways because I was actually going to say one thing, but now I'm actually going to say two things. You you really could look at this two ways. Number one, if the season starts and both and both sides don't do anything, um, and Watson chooses to not play, uh. Do the Texans benefit in any way if he gets put on the exempt status? I would guess yes, right? What, the union would freak out about it? 
No, it's it's that wouldn't wouldn't the Texas Texans save more money? Where his where well, you got to remember his, if you're if you're on the exemplus, you still get paid. You, you still get paid. You still get you you okay. You still get paid, but is, yeah. So then, all right. So then, let's actually look at the second scenario. Is this is it possible that if the Texans knew about this and they're using this mob like kind of atmosphere to scare off other teams from trading for him? Oh, I think that I think that's definitely a possibility. The idea that okay, you don't want to credit us if you know if you've heard any of the stories about this Nick Easterby character who's a front office executive uh, for Houston. You know this is you could see him being capable about something like this because this guy is crazy from everything I've yeah. heard. This is this is the guy who convinced the McNair owner at the last minute to hire his buddy Casero. Uh, both of them come from the Patriots. Both of them have the same agents, and right. the guy McNair was ready to go with someone that they had picked off of the list that the agency that they hired to help them in the GM search. He was ready to go with someone they recommended. And then at like the 11th hour, Easterby comes in and he talks McNair into hiring this guy Casero. So he he's kind of yeah. capable. Yeah, you don't know what that guy is capable of. It's, you know, if it would be interesting, you know, if Watson's agent, you know, was looking at all this and looking at all these moving parts, you know, if basically Watson's agent was smart, he would actually probably tell his client, you know what? You should put out a statement that, you know what? You really don't want to be here, but you're under contract and your intention is to play and then see what happens. I mean, it's not a bad idea. I think <laughs> at this point, I think at this point it's a little late for that. Yeah. Um, but I, I get, definitely get the point you're making. That call if he, <laughs> yeah, call the bluff, call the bluff. It's not bad. There. And listen, uh, supposedly, um, Watson hired Rusty Harden to represent him. If you don't know who Rusty Harden is, that's the guy who represented Roger Clemens during all his steroid uh, allegations and everything that was going on with McNamee and all that shit. So Harden's represented athletes in the past. Harden released a statement saying that they will be releasing a further statement next week. So it'll be interesting to see what comes out there. The guy um, who is representing all these women, apparently as of right now, while he has said he is willing to talk to the NFL, who of course launched their investigation with, over the last couple of days, he has not been interviewed uh, by the NFL just yet. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. And obviously the NFL is going to wind up talking to Watson at some point. So this is all still developing, and for all we know, something else is going to come out next week, which is why I wanted to bring this up, because I figured by the time we go to the show on Tuesday, we could know a lot of things that completely throw this whole thing on its head. My only concern, as of right now, I still kind of think it's the mafia-style thing, and I still want to believe that Watson didn't do it. When you're up to 11 women, I, I mean, you're bordering on Cosby territory here. You know, when it was just one or two accusers, it was easy to kind of side with Cosby. When it started getting up there into the double digits and the teens and the 20s and the 30s, even if half of them are lying, you still did something wrong here. 
So we're starting yeah. to get into that territory. We're definitely starting to get in there. So and what that, makes it worse, and not to cut you off, what actually makes it worse is if if this happens to be true and all of this happened and Houston is found out that they maybe didn't act on it, that actually makes it even worse that they're only act that they're only acting on this now because he doesn't want to play for them anymore. That's fair. That's fair. But I mean, there's also the case just by the fact this is going through civil court before criminal court. You do have to wonder if these women are just looking for money. And if that's the reason why nothing ever came out, because the Texans were willing to pay what they wanted. And with Watson not wanting to play there, now the checks from the Texans stop. So the women decide, hey, we, we still want some cash because we like money. So we're going we're gonna to do what we wanted to do in the first place here. You wouldn't be surprised right. about that. But again, I feel the need to say this. The fact that we're up to 11 women definitely makes you pause about that theory. It definitely makes you kind of pause about that theory and just wonder no, if we're going back, if we're going, if, if even suggesting that, you know, 11 women could be lying if we're going backwards instead of forwards here. So, no, uh, you know, again, makes, no, it makes you think he, you know, and everybody's innocent on, until proven guilty, but you're right. 11 people come out. They were accusing you of something. Chances are, it doesn't really look good for you. Yeah. All right. Uh, did you have anything else you wanted to bring up tonight? Um. Yeah, I actually did have something. I okay. wanted to get your thought. I wanted. I actually wanted to get your thoughts. Juju uh, Schuster. Juju Smith Schuster. Yes. Schuster resigned with the Pittsburgh Steelers. He's 24 years old. Mm. He actually took less money to sign a one-year deal with Pittsburgh. Um, interesting how they're they're going about that. Um, why would a 24-year-old receiver who's going into his prime take actually less money to stay with Pittsburgh? Well, without knowing the whole story, I just know Juju Smith-Schuster thinks of himself as a number one wide receiver, and he's not a number one wide receiver. And I would be I curious to know what the other offers out there were for him because I feel like when he got out on the market, he realized, oh, shit, all the teams realize that I'm not a number one wide receiver and I'm not getting the money that a number one wide receiver gets. I need to take what I have in hand. And Smith-Schuster, he, he does, he's had semantics over the last season where, yeah, I'm sure he said he'll take like Instagram videos or something at the center of the opponent's field. So they whatever emblem, yeah. Yeah, yeah, whatever emblem they, he just do a lot of nonsense shit like that, and I wouldn't be surprised if that factored into why he wasn't getting the money that he wanted. Um, so I'm not surprised. I think it was an eight million dollar deal or something like that for one season, something like that. Something like that, yeah, yeah, something like that. I'm I'm not surprised he's not getting the big money because again, he's he's not a legitimate number one wide receiver, and you know the headache that he's kind of been caused in the last year. If I'm a team like the Giants and I'm trying to create a culture, as Gettleman has claimed he's been trying to do for the last three years, I, I don't know that I want that on board either. I mean, you just, you're only a couple of years removed from when you traded Odell Beckham, and now you're going to sign a guy who might be the same fucking thing? I, I don't hate on them for not doing that. But in a way, though, he is sort of, in terms of a short-term you know, goal, he is sort of betting on himself because – 
you you basically oh you sure yeah absolutely sign that one year deal and you're thinking that the salary cap next year especially especially with the NFL just signing that the whole thing with ESPN and the TV and the TV deal the NFL it looks like the salary cap could maybe even double in two years. So is it possible? No, we, t- we talked people- about this on the yeah. show. I mean, that's what everybody's yeah. expecting. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I'm sure that played into it. I definitely get that. I mean, anytime you're, I mean, I'm not going to call him an elite wide receiver, but anytime you're a player of some caliber and you settle for a one-year deal, you're, you're definitely betting on yourself. So there's that. Uh, yeah. So I get that. But at the end of the day, he, he's not worth a multi-million dollar year, especially in a year where the salary cap drops by like $20 million and every team is scr- scrambling to get under the cap. Yeah, no. Yeah, why are you taking a chance on him? So the one-year deal makes sense all around. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. if I was the Giants, I actually wish I actually could have gotten him for $8 million. Um, let's wait a couple days to see if you guys get Kenny Galladay. And then you tell me if you still feel the same way, because apparently the giants have been hosting Kenny Galladay for the last two days. He hasn't signed a contract yet, but apparently he's continuing negotiations with them. If you get him, you don't need Juju Smith Schuster. That's my opinion. Again, we have Dave Gettleman as our, as our GM, excuse me while I, you know, second guess everything he does in between the vomiting yeah i get you yeah i I get you yeah i get it i get it all right um so with that i mean we'll wrap up here i just want to bring up uh justice league and the first episode of falcon and the winter soldier we're not going to go into big reviews with them because obviously we'll save that for when we have uh eric and and hopefully dave on talk about this stuff which is broad strokes i know you didn't get to see justice league yet Uh, i watched all four hours of this uh zach snyder justice league the snyder cut that we've waited over three years and we've heard all the petitions we've seen all the hashtags and everything and it came out my honest opinion of zach snyder's justice league is that while it is definitely better than the justice league we got in 2017 uh it's still not a great movie. There are moments that are really good. Um, there are scenes that are very intriguing. I will say that. And one thing you got to keep in mind, and I had heard this, and there's a scene in this Justice League, uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League that makes me question this a little bit. Zack Snyder gave an interview, and he basically said that his original vision for the movie was never allowed to be shot. Because his original version, when Batman vs. Superman came out, the idea was it was a five-movie arc spanning um, Man of Steel, Batman vs. Superman, two Justice League movies, and maybe it was only four. Um, maybe, maybe it was only a four-movie arc, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe there was a Superman sequel that was supposed to be put in there. Maybe the Batman was supposed to factor into it. But between those four movies... So after he'd finished Batman vs. Superman, he started writing his idea for the two-part Justice League movie. And that was supposed to be darker. Uh, Dark Side was supposed to factor in into the second movie more. We were going to see um, the realization of Batman's uh, visions that he was having 
from the Batman vs Superman movie, the dystopian future where Superman was evil, and then the part where he's, he's sitting in a room and uh, the Flash from the future comes in and gives him the the movie uh, the um, the message that Lois is the key. We were going to see all this really pay off. So he wasn't allowed to film that because, of course, Batman vs Superman comes out. It has kind of a mixed reception. Warner Brothers freaks out. And he makes they make him redo it. They kind of put the second Justice League movie on the back burner, or so I thought. And what we're seeing here is that script. So it's not necessarily the original version, but it's the version that came after the first overreaction by Warner Brothers. And then he films the four hours of footage and everything. Um, I thought it was a good movie. I thought it was not a great movie. If I originally thought that uh, the 2017 Justice League was a 6.5, I'd give this a 7.5 or 7, 7.5, somewhere in that uh, mind frame. What you got to remember is that just because you extend a scene that you believe to be mediocre and put original footage around it and give it an original vision, it doesn't make it a great scene. And for the first two hours of the movie, that was kind of where my thought process was going here. Second half... Of this four-hour um, uh, 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 Zack Snyder cut is definitely better than the first half of the movie. I will say that I was surprised by some of the things got, that got left out, and I was surprised by some because I kind of thought everything that Snyder had filmed was going to be in this. The opening sequence in the original Justice League, that uh, montage with the Leonard Cohen song, I really thought that was. I really thought that was going to be in this version. Apparently, it wasn't. Uh, I don't even remember seeing an opening. Uh, I don't even remember seeing an opening credit sequence in this movie. But how if different I'm being... was it? But how different was it? Was it well, very, I mean, very different? Well, here's the thing: it's the same scenes but different takes, which makes you wonder how much Joss Whedon reshot just to reshoot. Because, all right, Superman comes back. They're in the cornfield at his old house. And right. he's standing there without a shirt on. He's got his memory back. Lois is there. You remember in the original right. one, that the line that was kind of panned at the time, you smell nice. That line's not in the movie. There's a lot of this shit. It's the same scene, but there's different lines. So it makes you wonder, why did Josh Reedon feel the need to reshoot as much as he did? Because you didn't really need to. And especially... With the whole mustache gate and everything, you would think you would want to reshoot Superman scenes as little as possible right. to avoid that whole drama that unfolded and basically clouded a lot of people's judgment going into the movie. So you Are there shot more a, villains in it? Are there more villains? Uh, yes. Yeah. In it? Like oh, Dark Side is more. yeah. No, Dark Side is definitely in it. And to their credit, I thought they did a really good job with Dark Side. Truthfully, what they say about Steppenwolf and the the better CGI, yes, it's better CGI. I still don't think he looks that great of a villain. If I'm being honest, they did, yeah. and that, that that's how I feel. They did a better job. But if you're talking about a movie that is mediocre, a better job just makes it okay. You know what I mean? But, but just give me a one-on-one quick. Okay. I, I, I get confused about DC. Marvel, I could kind of get because it's more, it's very hierarchical. You kind of figure out who exactly the, the bigger bad guy is. With, okay. With DC, and you're never really too sure. Is Darkseid more powerful than Steppenwolf? Or is Steppenwolf more powerful than Darkseid? 
Um, I mean, I don't know in terms of power levels, but Darkseid is Steppenwolf's master. And okay. they hinted at this. Step, apparently, there's a whole backstory, which I'll tell you right now. The one thing they accomplished with the extended scenes, you can tell how much they cut out of Justice League to get to that two-hour runtime. And I will say, leaving in, a, leaving in a lot of the information that was in this Snyder Cut definitely makes it a fuller experience. I definitely agree with that. Like, it makes a lot of things make sense that you just kind of glossed over in Justice League. The backstory here with Steppenwolf is that he had risen up and tried to revolt against Darkseid. It didn't work. So his punishment is to kind of to kind of be the um oh I, I I don't know what the right word is, but he's he's basically he's like the scout guy for step for Darkseid. He's the one who softens up the worlds for Darkseid to conquer. And he's trying I to see. redeem he's trying to redeem himself in Darkseid's eyes. And that you part see of Dark Side a lot. Oh you yeah. Well, in the movie? well, listen. You didn't see Dark Side at all in Justice League, so you definitely right. see him. I don't know if I'd say a lot, but he definitely has a presence in this movie. Definitely okay. has a presence in this movie, and like you can feel the presence in this movie. You can definitely. I I will one hundred percent say that one. And they did a good job on him. I will say that. I, I liked the inclusion of Dark Side on this, but you could tell again going back to the original idea. For Snyder, that he never got the chance to film. The idea the whole time when there was two Justice League movies with Steppenwolf was going to be the bad guy in the first one, Darkseid was going to be the bad guy in the second one. And you know, like, they've already kind of come out and said, this is probably not going to lead anywhere. This is probably not going to be included in the DC movies in the future. There is one scene at the end of the movie, which I'm not going to say, which kind of makes you feel like they... He filmed this thinking there was still a possibility for a second Justice League movie. Like, you can definitely feel that. And the fact that it's it's not going to go anywhere, kind of, you know, we're, we're you getting... Think there's gonna be a, you don't think there's going to be a second Justice League movie? I think there'll be a second Justice League movie. I don't think Zack Snyder's going to have anything to do with it. Um, right. The only, like, remember, the only reason this movie is being released, like, they can say they're giving the fans what they wanted. No, this movie's being released because HBO Max became a thing and they want subscribers. Right. That is the only reason why this is being released. This is a cash grab, plain and simple. It's not a movie crash, uh, uh, cash grab. It is a streamer cash grab because that's the world we live in now where everybody's got a fucking streaming service. So if that if HBO Max wasn't a thing, this probably would never be released. If I'm being yeah. honest here. But I, I'll tell you this. I love Jason Momoa as Aquaman. I thought he was fantastic in this. Gal Gadot is Wonder Woman, uh, even though I was not crazy about Wonder Woman 1984. And I agree with Nancy. Aquaman was just okay. I didn't think it was great by any show. Those two are fantastic as those characters. I am still disappointed we don't get to see more of Ben Affleck as Batman because, listen, I'm not saying he was Michael Keaton or Christian Bale. He was a good Batman, though. Good Batman. Not a great Batman. Good Batman. No, he was. He, he definitely wasn't a Val Kilmer or a... Uh, or a uh, George Clooney? Yeah, no, he's definitely better. And I didn't hate Val Kilmer as Batman, but no, he's definitely better than those two. Yeah, no, I agree with you on that. I don't like Ezra Miller as The Flash. I just, I don't like Ezra Miller as the Flash. Um, okay. His scenes are not much different than what okay. you saw in the original. Like, there's a couple little extra things they do with him 
that they didn't do. Again, everybody gets much more fleshed out in this movie than before. I, I just find him to be very annoying. Like when I saw Justice League the first time, I, I went along with Ezra Miller's jokes. I thought they were okay. But the more I've seen of him, the more I just don't like him. I just don't like him as the, 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 the Flash. I would rather the guy who plays the Flash on the CW as the Flash. And I know Dave agrees with me on that one. So I don't like him. Ray Fisher is cyborg. Uh, the people who are saying that he's the breakout star in this movie, uh, again, I'm with Momoa and Godot on this. But I get why they're saying that about him because nobody got cut out of the Justice League movie that we saw in 2017 more than him. Nobody got cut out more than him. Like yeah, the whole yeah, story, the whole story that he had basically got left on the cutting room floor. And it was a good story. And the way they incorporated, incorporated him into it, especially the ending of the movie, I thought it was very well done. Um, I, so, I, go ahead. I like that Cyborg, sorry, I like that Cyborg's dad is a scientist because uh, I remember him in Teach 2, Terminator yeah. 2. Yeah, yeah, he was he, he, he was just that. That's just they should just have that. And I don't know that actor's name. I forgot that. Actor's Joe name. Morton. He just Joe, Joe Morton. Joe, Mo Joe Morton just plays a really believable scientist. Maybe it's just maybe it's just the Terminator 2 roots. But every movie he's in, you're like, yep, he's a scientist. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about except Blues Brothers. He was one of the Blues Brothers in Blues Brothers 2000, which is a movie nobody That's really true. pays attention. Yeah, I never saw that one, but anyway. Nancy um, loves that movie. Oh, yeah? Okay. Loves All that right. movie. All loves right. Um, I've still never seen the first one in its entirety. Um, she loves the first one, too. <laughs> oh, I'm sure it's a classic. Everyone has always yeah. called it a classic. One of the most expensive movies ever made at the time. And I'm yeah, sure I'm true. sure it is. I, I, I got caught up with something 20 minutes into the movie the one time I tried to watch it, and I never went back to it. But anyway... Um, the relationship between the father and the son, Cyborg and his father, that was so much more expanded upon in this movie. And they, they did a good job. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm not saying anything negative about this movie. It's just overall, you take a movie that was mediocre and you make it okay. That's all you did. So in Warner Brothers, they, they wanted a two-hour runtime. You cut out both parts of the movie that should have been in the movie in the first place. This definitely justifies that way of thinking. And the only reason you, you kept the movie release date in November was because you wanted your Warner Brothers executives to get bonuses because you didn't know what the AT&T merger was going to mean for you guys in the year. That's a fucked up reason not to push a movie back that you know isn't going to do well anytime. So the fact that we got this, hey, if the DC fans are pleased, good for them, man. I just think I, it was okay. That's how I look at it. And Falcon and the Winter Soldier, first episode was pretty good, I thought. It was pretty good. I, I definitely liked the opening scene. Uh, I thought that was really cool, how they couldn't go in, 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 into Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that was pretty was good. Cool. Yeah. yeah. That was cool. That kind of hits you right off the back. Like, whoa, this is where the action, where WandaVision didn't really have much. I was, gonna say, right. <laughs> I was just going to say, I was just going to say that actually. Yeah, we talked about with WandaVision, no real action until the the ninth episode, and this one just smacks you in the face with the with the action right off the bat. Yeah, that was nice. Yeah, that was nice. I, I like the one line that Bucky said uh, when he was talking to the therapist. Um, you know, every movie you don't they, they don't really flesh out a lot of these 
characters because there's just so there's so many and it's like you don't yeah. really see who Bucky is but he says a line how you know he was telling a psych psychologist you know for for 90 years I've been at war yeah and and like you think about that and you're like wow this guy this guy is this guy is not okay like you know he's he's in a way he's pretty messed up but it's like it's still good that he's able to have a one-on-one conversation without killing this psychologist so I well, mean, you, you can kind of look at it both ways <laughs> well you can also see he's trying to make amends you could see that with the older guy who he yeah. forms a friendship with and then we later found out he killed his son or whatever the hell it was um yeah. but um no i mean listen I know everybody was disappointed in the series, uh, the season finale of WandaVision that we didn't get to see all these different big bads and Mephisto and Chick Don and all these Nightmare and all these different guys. But, you know, Marvel build this as the idea that we're going to get to know characters a little deeper than we knew in the movies. And I like the fact that they're sticking to that with Wanda and Vision and now Falcon and Winter Soldier. I like the fact that they're sticking to that and they're they're not deviating off it and the idea you everybody wants to see the big bads everybody wants to see where this is going to go everybody wants the easter eggs for the future everybody wants the x-men in. everybody wants to do right. this everybody wants to do that i like simple stories and that's why i think i liked the wandavision finale a little bit better than you and eric did uh i like the fact that it didn't make anybody hate uh, the rest of the season, uh, the way that it came out. But I, I like the fact that we're sticking with the, the simple stories and we're not letting it get too big. And I think Marvel does a good job with that in general. Look at Endgame, look at Infinity War. These are big, extravagant pieces where you got all these different characters, but you still have a somewhat streamlined story. Thanos is coming to destroy, to get the glove and wipe out half of existence it's a big story but because of the way that they shot it and you only have uh, a certain number of characters in each scene it felt a little more contained and not as out of control as it could have been in endgame the idea that you're starting the movie off and you're only focusing on nine or ten characters and then you don't bring everybody in until the big battle at the end of the movie that's a great way to handle a comp what could be a very complex situation and still keep it feeling somewhat small scale on such a grand scale. You know what I mean? Well, no. And that's, and that's exactly what it is. Like the simple stories. I mean, I like mm -hmm. Falcons. I like the Falcon backstory, you know, his, Oh yeah. He was, he was basically gone for five years and his sister had to keep basically the family afloat. And you kind of, and you actually kind of get into that, you know, the boat story, the house thing, he, he owns half of it. He, he tried the superheroes trying to save faith of the day by trying to get a loan from actually the bank. He's Falcon and he still can't get a loan from the bank. I mean, that, that's just, that's just like, you know, uh, kind of sad in a yeah. way, but, but it's like, you know, I think it's different from WandaVision because one division look i i i sat down to watch that i thought it was gonna i knew it was gonna be a little weird but they kind of started off weird and then you're thinking all right how how are they going to close this and then it just got built up i think this started off much simpler 
and and, and it kind of said this is what this is this is what this show is going to be about it's going to yeah. it, it's going to be about captain america uh the new captain america at the end of the episode this is who the new captain america is and it's going to be i think this is how falcon and with soldier are going to re- react to it and how they're going to move forward and there's going to be a little bit of uh controversy behind that because that was that was pretty shitty i mean you know sam gives up the shield to the old guy who says oh thank you so much and then he and then he, yeah. the other i mean that's that's shitty now i heard online that they actually wanted the captain america to be um um henry cavill but i don't think that was ever going to happen oh i yeah i i, I never heard <laughs> that one but that would have been interesting that would have been interesting. But to go back to what you're saying, and listen, we're not going to get too deep into this. Like like I yeah. said, we're going to save that for everybody. But, um, you know, I mentioned this when we were doing the WandaVision season finale review, and Eric said, I'm going to go into the next season after this with lessened expectations. I think there is something to be said if you go into something with lesser expectations. And it was also another reason why I had advocated for one division to be released all in one day as opposed to weekly because you look at the expectations everybody went into with one division nobody really had built up expectations but as the season kept going and you kept seeing the easter eggs the fans are a fucking runaway train and we're pulling everybody in all these different directions and we got all these expectations we got all these theories out there and I'm not saying anybody hated one division as a result of it because as everybody has said Nobody hates the show. Everybody thought it was a good show. I mean, truthfully, the ride that I got taken on, not just by watching the show, but with watching what everybody else was doing, that was a good ride. And like Lincoln Park said, sometimes the journey is more important than the end of the start. What it meant to me will eventually be a memory of a time that I tried so hard. But anyway, uh, one of my favorites. Um, But I just, there's something to be said about going in with lower expectations watching it all at once, not getting yourself too built up at any point. And then, you know, because because of what had gone on with all the theories and everything, you come out of it feeling disappointed. Whereas if you didn't have those expectations, maybe you could just enjoy it a little more for what it was. And listen, the WandaVision season finale was not perfect by any stretch. I said this, they rushed through some things that they should have given a lot more time to breathe in that show so it wasn't perfect on its own but just by the fact you build up all these expectations and theories and it doesn't happen and you leave people am i still going all right cool you leave people you you leave people slightly disappointed but i think falcon and the winter soldier will actually benefit from that in the long run because certain fans feel deflated as a result of the wandavision now other people will come in like Eric. Well, I'm just not going to get myself built up. And now you can right. enjoy the story a little bit more for what it is when you don't have that excess baggage there. And it's also, you know, I I, I think, you know, the, the stars of WandaVision didn't really help either. I mean, oh, no, they didn't. No, no. I mean, Everybody I, contributed I, to that I, one. I yeah. mean, and I don't want to blame just them, but but, you know, when you're – when you're Elizabeth Olsen, and and look, she's a great actress, but she, can we, can, can I say she one? Knows better. Can I say one thing? 
She did not put the words Luke Skywalker cameo out there. The interviewer who was interviewing her put those words out there, and she made the mistake of saying yes. So, so who, who, according to, and maybe she never clarified this, who was the Luke Skywalker figure that she said yes to? Or you want my clear? You you want my honest opinion? I, as far as I yeah, know, that inter- that interview was probably done before episode five. So she probably thought she could say that about the Quicksilver reveal, and people wouldn't be thinking, "Oh no, you can't have that in episode five. It's got to be something bigger later on down the line." Yeah. See, I think she didn't help uh, the other guy, Paul Bettany. Bettany yeah. Bettany, no, but yeah, Bettany. no, he definitely didn't didn't help because I've seen that episode and the yeah. idea that he put out there that I didn't think the fans would take it that way. Nah, stop, stop. No, come on, come you on. push you, something you, like that out there, really? You're a very good actor. When you say, "Oh, I can't, I can't wait to work for an actor like this," I mean, you're a good actor. When, <laughs> you know, when actually you actually say someone's going to be in the movie that's going to be better than you. Come on. It's just like, it, it's just, it's, and secondly, with Falcon and actually the Winter Soldier, I actually think you're right. I actually think it is going to benefit from people just watching it. The one thing I will say is, why does Marvel still do six minute credit scenes? <laughs> I knew you were going to bring that up because I saw that. And I was just like, oh, yeah. Scenes? <laughs> but here's the thing. Go back to Mandalorian with Star Wars. I don't know that that's necessarily a Mandalorian thing. I excuse me, a Marvel thing. I feel like that's a Disney Plus thing because if you look at those credits, you got you getting every language in. So I feel yeah, like I, so. I feel like that's a Disney Plus thing because Netflix does the same thing. They don't yeah. have six minute credits though. They have three minute credits. If that, they have three minute credits. I mean, yeah, I just. So the, I just I just feel like with WandaVision, even Nancy kind of made a joke, but she's like, well, WandaVision's a, a show, so maybe they got to show two sets of credits. All right, that makes sense. But, like, this isn't a second show. This is one show. So why can't we just have a three-minute credit scene? <laughs> well, I mean, here's my only thing. Uh, we're talking about six-minute credit scenes, which, we, you know, if anything, it is decreased because we had eight-minute credit scenes with WandaVision. So they're getting, at, at this rate, by the, like the sixth uh, by like the sixth Disney plus Marvel show, then we'll be down to three minutes because they'll just keep taking a minute off for each series. But uh, anyway, all right. Do you have anything else you'd like to bring up? I think that's it. Falcon, Winter Soldier. I'm looking forward to episode two. Yeah, no, it should be good. It should be a fun ride. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to it. My, uh, I try to go into all these shows with uh, as low expectations as possible. I learned after X Men: The Last Stand, don't go into high, go in, don't go into movies with high expectations because you're just going to be Ooh. disappointed. And Brett yeah, Ratner. horrible. Oh, Hi- Brett yeah. Oh, well, I, I. I don't, I've said this before, I don't blame Brett Ratner for that movie being as bad as it was. I blame the studio that tried to force a release when they didn't have a completed script. Brian Singer, another another problem director, kind of saw the writing on the wall and he left. They brought in Matthew Vaughn. They brought in two writers that weren't exactly fans of the comics. They were more fans well, he of did the... Superman, Brian Singer. Yeah, he left for Superman. So and he, he left. 
Well, he, I, I personally believe that he left for Superman because he was just like, yo, these guys are going to fuck this movie up. Let me go do Superman. Maybe maybe this won't get fucked up. And then Superman yeah. was just mediocre. And he both, they both released the same year. They both released within a month of each other. I was working yeah. at a theater at a time. I remember that. Um, but I feel like the studio is the one that fucked that up. They never saw the long-term vision. They never saw what they had in X-Men. They never saw... The and obviously in 2006, nobody knew what the MCU was, but I still believe if they nail that third X Men movie, you have the MCU 10 years before the MCU, and they never that they never appreciated what they had on their hands, they never knew what they had on their hands, and that's and why they screwed up X Men again, and then they screwed it up twice. <laughs> well, I mean, I'll say this. X-Men Apocalypse and X-Men Dark Phoenix were not even close to as bad of a screw-up as um, X-Men The Last Stand and Wolverine were. Like, I look at X-Men Apocalypse, that is that is just a bland movie to me. There's some decent scenes in there, but overall it's a bland movie, which is not as bad as a terrible movie in X-Men The Last Stand. And X-Men Dark Phoenix is trash. Don't get me wrong, that's still a trash movie. I've, yeah, I've you never could, seen it. I've never yeah, seen it. My uncle told me to not see it. You could tell there's a good movie in there, but the the merger. I think the original idea was they wanted to do two movies out of it, but at yeah. some point, I think the merger with Marvel Disney had. No. Yeah, Marvel yeah. I no. think that had. Well, I don't even think it was Marvel saying no. I think it was just they were. They didn't know if they were going to get to do it. So the execs said it was something like the execs said, listen, we don't know if you're going to be able to do a second movie. You need to just make this one movie because that's all we know for sure that you're going to get. It's all we know for sure that you're going to get. So you know, I, it, it was said because First Class was a really good movie. And it was I love Future, that movie. And, and Days of Futures Past, when I knew that that was going to be the second movie because I think it was the end of the second Wolverine, which was the better Wolverine movie. Where yeah, that was a pretty good movie. The, Japan, yeah, the la yeah, the last yeah. half hour of it kind of sucks, but other than that, the movie was really good. But but I mean, there's an extra credit scene which leads you into Days of Futures Past, where they tell yeah, you yeah. That this is what. So it's like I'm like, oh no, they're gonna screw this movie up now. But it's like, uh, they, you know, I kind of had that sense myself. They really nailed it. Like they, you know, it, it, it wasn't like a hundred percent perfect, but I would, mm -hmm. I would definitely give it an A. Like Days of Futures Past, they pretty much nailed. And those are my two favorite storylines of um, X Men, especially the the Fox Five show, uh, Days of Futures Past, and the um, and the Phoenix Saga. And um, with 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 act with actually the Wolverine going going to japan like a close top five i mean i i just i i i always like those storylines and they nailed mm -hmm. it and then they and then they and then you know the apocalypse was okay the yeah i didn't go i that didn't was think okay storyline yeah i didn't think it was as bad as other people made it out to be like i said i just remember leaving the theater and feeling it's it's okay it's not yeah. great. I mean, they, they, all that all that movie had to do because they make the joke in the movie. Oh, the third movie always sucks. Um, all they had to do was not suck like the last stand did, and they accomplished right. that. That was all they had to do. But again, you know, um, actually, in the last stand, one of the uh, writers on the movie was Simon Kinsberg, 
who wind up becoming an executive producer on the second set of X-Men movies. Okay, so you fuck up the Dark Phoenix the first time. So let's give yeah. you the director's chair so you can fuck it up a second time. Good job yeah, that there. Was, that was just, that, that was just, they, you know, I, I just hope, you know, and I'm guessing, and maybe you, I don't know whether you would agree with me, but I think when Marvel, I don't think it's a secret that Marvel is eventually going to get to the X-Men, whether that's sure. next year, sure. whether that's in two years, whether that's in five years. Whether that's in ten years, I don't know what really the plan is. I don't I'm know what, fine uh, with space. I'm fine yeah, with space and I, just letting it rest for yeah. a little while. I don't know Kevin Feige's plans, but but whenever that happens, um, we're probably going to get characters that are all re recast. I I don't think Sophie Turner is coming back as the Dark Phoenix. I don't think Jennifer Lawrence is coming back as uh, Mystique. I, I I think pretty much we're going to get all new characters. So. It's going to be interesting to see what Marvel does. Do they do what storyline do they do? Do they do Days of Futures Past? Do they do a whole nother dif different? Story? I don't. I, I, I don't know. At, at least right away, I don't think they're going to touch anything that Fox has already touched. Because yeah. you know, as much as again, Days of Future Past, great movie on its own. I feel like all those movies have the stink of the Fox X Men movies on them. Yes. I yes. I just feel like they do. So I don't feel like they're going to do any of the storylines we've already seen, which is probably a good thing. Um, knowing the way Feige has done things in the past, I feel like whatever storyline they tries to try to do, they probably would take a couple different storylines and kind of put them together. And that doesn't horrify me because we've seen Feige doing in the past. He knows what he's fucking doing. Not yes. like X-Men, not like X-Men The Last Stand, where you take the cure storyline and you make that the A story instead of focusing on the Phoenix, which is the one the entire movie should have been about. And I, the idea, and it killed me. I remember in the theater when Patrick Stewart as Xavier says the line, Phoenix was an alter ego of Jean Grey that I had to lock inside her mind. I almost walked out of the theater in disgust. And remember, I did not have to pay for this movie. I actually got paid to watch this movie because I knew projection at the time. And the rule was uh, there has to be a projectionist watching the movie in case something goes wrong to track right. it. So I actually right. got paid for the movie and I still wanted my fucking money back. Um, but I'm watching this and I see that. And I just realized. You took the cheap way out of doing what should have been a glorious space yep. epic. Yep. Ten years before Guardians of the Galaxy proved that a comic book space epic movie works and that people want to see that. And I know part of my disdain for the Fox executives is that at the time, they didn't think a space epic would have worked, that people would, wouldn't have uh, been into it if it wasn't Star well, Wars or Star Trek. Don't do the storyline then. Well, then don't do, don't do I, the I agree. And, I agree with and, you. And, and secondly, and I know for a fact you could correct me if I'm wrong, but Phoenix, the Phoenix storyline comes before Dark Phoenix, Right. I'm glad you said that. Yes, I think that's another problem with the way they have tried to do Phoenix is that you completely blow past the fact that she was good in the beginning and you go straight to her being corrupted. I totally agree with you. 
Uh, you have to build that up. You can't just go straight into Dark Phoenix and expect right. people to care about it the same way you would if they cared about Jean Grey as a character first. They cared about her when she had the good side of the Phoenix in her. And then the, you take that level of care. Look at fucking Wanda, for Christ's sakes. My yeah. mother... Um, I believe she's 65, 66, somewhere. I, 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 I'm glad she's not listening tonight. I think we she's 66. Know, we, we don't I, know. Yeah. Anyway, no, she's not listening tonight. I know she's not. But anyway, um, uh, she tells me, you know, because I tell her a little bit about what happens to Wanda in the comics, about how she goes insane when she loses her kids. And my mother cares about Wanda even before the series started, just off the movies. And she's like, I don't want to see anything bad to happen, bad to happen to her. The, you got to get people to care about the characters first before you go straight into the corruption. If you want it to have the same level of impact it did when these stories first came out 30, 40 years ago. So yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. agree with you on that. And I, I know like I can hear Eric in my head. Talk, when I say the thing about uh, Phoenix being an alter ego in the mind, well, you know, they teased the Phoenix at the end of the second movie, so she already had an end in her. My sister said that same thing because me and Dina grew up on, uh, Dina's my sister. Uh, we both grew up on X-Men movie, uh, X-Men stuff when we were a kid. I remember a lot more of it than she does because she likes to forget her childhood. That's another story. I'm not talking bad about Dina on the show. Uh, we're good now. Um, anyway, you know, you know, the relationship me and my sister have, but anyway, um, and she said, well, they can't do the Phoenix and everything because they already teased that she already has it in her. In X-Men 2. And I said to her, no, there's a way you could do it where it's not that she has the Phoenix already inside of her. It's that she has a genetic predisposition and right. the Phoenix force looks for certain people of different races who have this genetic predisposition and to allow them to take over, be taken over by the Phoenix force. Only certain people have it. And that's Sounds what like you Wanda, use. Right. Sounds like Wanda. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. So that's what you use to explain the fact that you teased it at the end of the second movie. Dude, I had that entire thing already in my head coming out of the fucking theater. Right. Like, honestly, and nobody at Fox puts this together? No. Give me a they fucking don't. break. They don't. They don't. And, yeah. and that's why And that's why I have more faith in Marvel. I think mm -hmm. Marvel is going to take storylines. Maybe they'll take the storyline. I think there was a future storyline where Storm and Wolverine were well, husband and, and and wife. Well, like actually, that well, actually, that's that's been all over the place. I know in the in the uh, in the cartoon there was a storyline. They did the Age of Apocalypse, yeah, um, where Xavier dies in 1963. In the okay. comics, his son, um, David Haler who is Legion. Legion got his own TV show a few years ago. In the comics, David Haler, uh, he, suffers, he has much of the same powers Xavier does, but he also has split personality disorder. Um, he goes back in time because he, 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 he's insane at this point. His idea yeah. was, I want my father's plan to succeed, so I need to kill Magneto when he was young so he can't be the opposite to Xavier. So he goes back to 1963 and he's going to kill Magneto, but Xavier steps in front of it at the last minute and he kills Xavier instead. 
So it wipes out. Yeah. It wipes out the whole X-Men universe as we know it. And Age of Apocalypse starts because with no Xavier there, Apocalypse comes to power, basically enslaves everyone. And Magneto, to honor his friend, he becomes the Xavier of that age, leading the mutants against, against Apocalypse. And they did a version of this in the cartoon. And in that cartoon, Storm and Wolverine were dating. Yes. It's amazing how the Fox 5 show was able to do all these storylines and just nail all of them, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> That's why, you know, a few months ago, and I love Eric and everything, and most times he knows what he's talking about, but when he ventures into X-Men, I'm just standing there going, dude, you, you, have, you have no idea what you're talking about with this. But he always yeah. makes it sound like he's right and everything, and uh, yeah, Eric's going to be pissed at me for talking about him. I'm sorry, Eric. Yeah, you don't know what you're talking about with this shit. The idea that he called the movies the definitive form no the no, definitive no. x-men and other media is the is the animated series it just well, disney, is well before Diz, disney plus came out i watched i mean i watched the x-men show on on saturdays but not every of course. episode and i remember watch and i remember and, and i was watching them because i remember you and dina would, would always talk about it so i would watch it but when i got netflix um eight, nine years ago or whenever Netflix came out, they had the X-Men on there. So I think Mike cut out again. Yeah, it's me. You're back? All right. I think I cut out there for a second. There. Oh, so okay. yeah. Yeah. Uh, what were you saying? I, I was saying how before Disney Plus, uh, all, of, all of the X-Men Channel 5 show was on Netflix. So I, for right. like one week, I binge watched the whole series and, and I, I just loved it. And Nancy sat, th Nancy watched most of the episodes with me. Cause it's like, she's just like, all right, mm -hmm. let me watch this. And she, she kind of laughed at a couple episodes, but there were a couple episodes that she watched, but she was like, yeah. This, I mean, you have 74 episodes. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you have 74 episodes. They're not going to be, they're not all going to be great. No, but uh, all, yeah, but the storylines yeah. were good. Most oh, of yeah. the major storylines they nailed, and it's like mm -hmm. I'm I'm hoping Marvel and you know we're actually trying not to talk about the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, so this is a good way to talk about it without doing it. I'm hoping the I'm I'm hope I have more faith in Marvel nailing the X Men storylines, and we'll see what happens though. Yeah, I do too, and I think however they're brought in because. I definitely feel like we're getting to the point where they're going to be brought in at some point. And I do, I do think Wanda and House of M storyline is going to wind up factoring into that. And I feel like it's going to be a long-ranging storyline because we already know that they announced a Fantastic Four movie. But we know that's probably not coming out to like 2023 at the earliest. Right. So if I, if I had to guess, we're probably about was it 2021 we're probably about three or four years away from the x-men coming back but i do feel like they're going to be introduced in something else uh i feel like the multiverse is going to explain why mutants just popped up here and i feel like the first time that you hear the word mutants in a marvel property the entire world is going to fucking shit themselves yeah 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 because i think it's going to be it because it's going to be totally unexpected because i think yeah kevin i think everyone knows they're coming but i think kevin Feige and the marvel universe and the mcu is going to find another way to just shock us yeah 
And I think that's why, to go back to how we started this, yeah. that's why Marvel continues to have more credibility than DC does. Because yep. Marvel has shown time and time again, they know what they're doing. There's a plan. It might be written in pencil. There might be things in the plan that changes. But one way or another, it's going to be somewhat cohesive. And it's going to be something that services the fans who have been reading the comics the whole right. time. And the right. casual fans. And they're the ones... Look at Endgame. Look at Endgame. I mean, that, they, that got everybody happy. <laughs> they are the only entity that is able to please longtime fans and casual fans consistently. They are yeah. the only ones who have proven capable to do it. Whether it's any movie franchise you want to throw out there, whether it's pro wrestling, whether it's sports... No matter what it is, they are the only ones who are capable of free pleasing longtime fans and casual fans at the same time on a consistent basis. So I think that's how we will leave it tonight. Did I cut out again or am I still here? No, no, no. You're, okay. you're still here. I, I right. feel bad. We actually weren't going to stay on too long, but we almost. Yeah, no, two it's hours. two hours and I got to be up at five <laughs> o'clock tomorrow morning. That's fine. Though. That's fine. Hey, good conversation. It was fine um, with that. Cousin David, thank you for being here with me, as you always do. We haven't done these that often. I don't know how often we're going to get to do them, but I'd like to try to do these at least once a month. Because like I said at the beginning, I like being able to talk about stuff that we don't normally talk about on yep. the big show. I like being able to talk because there's things that just you and me talk about that maybe Eric and David uh, or Dave, you're David, um, don't really get into the same way. And it's just always nice to be able to talk about different things than what we always yeah. talk about. So I appreciate you being here. You got any final words? Um, no, uh, other than my uncle Jeff, I don't really know anybody else who else I like to talk X-Men with. So this, yeah. this definitely was cool. <laughs> yeah i mean my last thing on it my problem over the last 15 years because of the way the comic book industry has gone they've done a lot of retcons and a lot of reboots and a lot of different things that really turned a lot of the things that i grew up with in terms of the x-men world kind of on its head and i really hope that whenever they do bring the x-men back in they stick to more classic storylines because as much as, you know, they shouldn't hit Phoenix just yet, they shouldn't hit Days of Future Past just yet, there's storylines that they could do that are more from, like, 70s, 80s, 90s than the 2000s, and they'd still be good. Now, there's a couple storylines from the 2000s and 2010s that are decent and would be good to bring in, but I worry if you bring those in too soon, you run into... Some of the problems like DC has run into where you try to do too much too soon and you haven't gotten people invested in the characters. And some of the things they've done recently, within the last 20 years rather, has been good. But I feel like you need to be more invested in the characters to do so, some of the things they've done. So, But I trust Kevin Feige. I trust Marvel. Whatever they do, I'm going to sit back. I'm watching and uh, hopefully I will enjoy it, which I think I will. So with that, Cousin David, thank you once again for being with me. I am Mike Aglialoro. We will see y'all on the big show on Tuesday for Sports Zone. Have a good one, everybody.